Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Puyallpalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Today we'll be discussing all the action from match day 29. What an incredible match day. It was some some massive ties. We saw all the teams in the top five virtually playing each other. There were some important games down the foot of the table and so much more. Very much was a great way to start the week. Just getting to discuss all the action. Joining being the partner in crime, teaming up once again. She is back to join the team for this episode. It is the one and only Eva Lotterbola. Eva, good morning to you. It has obviously been a very busy week for both of us. Um, we won't talk football for one particular reason uh, in the Bundesliga. But other than that, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm tired. Um But uh, at the same time, I mean, um, just amazed how the Zweite Bundesliga keeps surprising us, I think, in any way. I think um, if you told me at the at the start of the season, it's going to be that tight towards the end. Um, I mean, you always expect it to be close, but I think we didn't really expect that. At least I didn't, especially not with the clubs that are in, involved Um Huge thanks before we start to, to Nuremberg for not, not letting Darmstadt sit in the third place. Um, this is what Arminia fans un did not look forward on the weekend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think um, we have to, at some st stage, probably have to talk about what we do if our both teams meet in the relegation playoff. I don't know if we have to sign a contract before that, that we still keep doing the podcast. So how <laughs> well. No matter how that game ends, um, but yeah, I think I think we save that. It's not going to happen. Um, Bielefeld will not reach that point. Um, oh. but, but yeah, I think uh, we will start with one of the most interesting games, mo one of the yeah fan-wise most spectacular games of the weekends. Um, great atmosphere, obviously. Uh, St. Pauli and Vera have some sort of friendship. Um, I'm, have to admit I'm not sure how deep the friendship goes uh, ultra scene wise but um yeah the I think the just the scenes were amazing on both sides of the stands uh with the some Pauli fans returning as well love confetti on the pitch obviously um and yeah I think uh we saw we saw a game although it ended uh in a draw that was really worthy of a, of a top spiel yeah I mean how good we've said it the last couple of weeks how good it is to see the ultras starting to return just the atmosphere in those games have changed and really you know you don't realize you miss something until it returns and in this case and all, all over the last couple of weeks like the the uh, the atmosphere we've seen in a lot of the games has been spectacular and this was no different as even mentioned St. Pauli Werder Bremen was a Saturday afternoon game it ended a goal apiece just under 30,000 made their way to the Milan Tour Stadion and 
really, this was a great opportunity for both sides to really establish themselves as top dog in the Svarta Bundesliga, but neither were able to. Goal scorers were Daniel Kofi Kire. He was on the end of a wonderful ball from Lerd Pacarada. Um, but they really didn't offer a lot in the second half, and Bremen did take advantage of this um, when Nicholas Fulkrug headed in to the back of the net. We will talk about the um, incident that may or may not have, definitely did not, get called. Um, but Bremen certainly seemed the more likelier in the second half. Marvin Dukes had that effort uh, a few moments before time where he hit the crossbar with a wonderful effort. Um, but other than that, it was level um, and ended a goal apiece in the end. Eva, let's talk about that incident because we know the VAR can't get out of its own way at the best of times. What seemed like a pretty clear handball in aiding a goal from Felix Agu, who um, megged Marcel Bifus, and then the play continued. It seemed pretty clear it was a handball, and from the replays that we all saw, it looked like a handball. Was there something that we were missing or that the video assistant didn't see? Because as we know with the video assistant referee, we get certain cameras, they will get more views of this. I, I don't I don't I believe Bremen would have got a goal regardless. They seemed as if they were turning the momentum, but the fact that we have to talk about this at length is really annoying because it's quite clearly a handball and the fact that the video assistant referee failed to apply the rules and you know, we could look back at this in a few weeks' time and that could be the reason why Saint Pauli didn't go up automatically, for example. Yeah, I think the thing is uh, with this is actually that it's not the VAR's fault because he actually um, made the referee on the pitch rewatch that scene. Um, there was an on-field review and um, the ref nevertheless uh, decided on... Um, so Florian Batschneba nevertheless chose to give that goal. Um, and there's one important rule to... First of all, have in mind that was implemented this season. Um, probably something we could all already uh, apply to the Regensburg game later versus Ingolstadt. Um, in this season, it's it's the matter that if you uh, have the hand or the hand is involved at some stage before scoring the goal, it only matters is the way that I understood it if it's the one that scores the goal. If it's happening before, um, it's not automatically being taken away. This is how it was before, that as soon as the hand was involved, the goal was taken away. Uh, it's a bit different than you talk about whether it was some sort of legal or illegal kind of thing. Um, but yeah, in, and um, yeah, I always kind of look what, what Kalinas M obviously write about this. Uh, it's in German, but nevertheless, um, uh, in, and they said, in their opinion, the VAR was right in calling that scene. Um, and because Agu actually, it's not, it's not a normal gesture. It's not like he gets the ball deflected from some sort of body part or something like that, but he actually touches the ball and everywhere on the pitch, this would have like, the referee should see that and mm. normally we would say uh you call this immediately because it's very like it's very visible it's not something where uh two players go up for an area duel or something like that 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 this happens but 
it should be called nevertheless because it's a handball um but yeah i don't really understand it it's Colleen as Em said uh, they don't understand why the VA, uh, why the referee on the pitch um didn't revise that statement um yeah it's frustrating they're all human but nevertheless mm. yeah it's it's annoying but what i really want to say one last thing about this is i can't understand why Baifus stops defending here mm. he's a very young player in in a way it's understandable but he completely stops going after agu and this is the one good thing about var you always know it will be if a goal takes place after this or resolves out of that situation it will be looked at so it's kind of stupid just stop playing uh, and he did it there and obviously uh, the second thing you have to talk about because afterwards it was very very bad defending by Zhang Pauli mm. um, if Schmid who is like I don't know it feels like he's 10 centimeters shorter than me comes to a header in that situation yeah. in the box um, that's not good defending and mm. yeah then no matter what but if we talk about the game um, in a way, you could really compare it to the Sandhausen game again, because I think, once again, Vera couldn't manage to get this dominance that they had, especially um, in the first half, after uh, like the, after the starting 50 minutes, or the opening 50 minutes, where Zangpali had three, two nil shots on target. Um, they, they, yeah, it's they couldn't put it on the score sheet. And this is something, and I know Vera fans are, are tired of hearing this, but if you, for example, compare it to Schalke afterwards, where they played against an opponent who had their chances as well, but they just used their chances they had, they used the dominance they had in certain moments, putting that on the pitch. And similar maybe even to, to Nuremberg, it, it can cost them. And I know we've spoken about this a lot, that it's for Vera, it's going to be very, very important how they perform um, against direct opponents in in this last two, I know, two months. And they have a lot of important matches coming up. They play Nuremberg, they play Schalke, okay, Kiel, um, and our in Regensburg, but the lo- not next two matches are probably the most important matches they're going to play this season now. And if you just like, if you see that St. Pauli gets a point of it, although Vera was maybe the better team, mm. um, they have to fear they're going to pick up points in in other games as well, where they're not as necessarily the better team playing Sandhausen next and Darmstadt, Nuremberg, Schalke, Düsseldorf, so all very not very easy opponents especially with Sandhausen they better you can you can ask Vera they made them struggle but if they pick up points there um Vera will look at this I mean they hit the woodwork for the 15th time this season and if you yeah I think it's it's going to be very interesting they at least in my opinion need to win one of the games against Nürnberg or Schalke mm. I think Schalke is going to be more important uh, I still think that Nürnberg is not going to be in that last three um, spots and if they draw against Nürnberg that's fine and then obviously they have to win at least two of the last three games 
to really secure that and not like obviously at this stage because it's all very very close you always have to look at your opponents in that at least four places one to five or something like that or one to four um you really really need to do your part first and um i think three wins are essential for doing that and obviously they can't afford to lose any of those yeah i mean you look at the top five and we'll get to the remaining teams uh throughout this section it is so tight i mean what a season it's been um to have such a a close promotion race and um i think for me the two main talking points that i picked out from this game was as 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 florian mentioned last week the over reliance on kire is becoming a problem yes he scored and he was in great position but teams are aware of his impact and nullifying his impact in the game is the best way to beat St. Pauli, especially at home. Um, and granted, Bremen weren't able to put St. Pauli away in the end, but they need to find other avenues and quickly. They need Guido Borgstaller to recapture the early season form. They need Simon Mackinock to continue that form he had in March. They need other players in that attacking area to shoulder some of the load and really put the pressure on. Um, and also for Bremen, Christian Gross started the game as a, a in as a center back in a weird in a back three. Raps injury allowed him to progress into the CDM role that you usually see him play. Much better structure. Certainly plays a lot better better in that number six role. Oh, that was something to look out for. But yeah, massive games for both sides, of course. Um, Bremen host Nuremberg. Um, St. Pauli are at Sandhausen. Uh, that won't be an easy game for them. Now let's turn our attention to the Max Morlock Stadion. Nuremberg hosted Darmstadt. This was the Saturday night kickoff game. Again, Darmstadt were presented with the opportunity to go top, knowing St. Pauli and Bremen played a one-all draw. They played a Nuremberg side who were very, very poor the week before, and I think both Flo and I were very reserved in thinking that Nuremberg could actually take something away from this game. Well, they didn't just take anything away. They took all three points, and they put themselves back in the hunt. They have an outside chance, and I think we've said this so many weeks now, they do have an outside chance of making stuff happen, but they will need results to go their way, and they need to pick up points in the, in, in the, in the meantime. They scored... Set pieces were the poison of Darmstadt in this one. We haven't said it for a while, but two of the goals they conceded were set pieces. And the third goal was from a cross. Your goal scorer is Nikola Dovidan, Lukas Schleimer. They are not the tallest guys who play for Nuremberg. Not remotely. Dovidan, I think, is like 5'8", five 5'9". Five you can't let him win a header in, in a corner. You just can't. And Schleimer, the same... Um, Luca Pfeiffer did get on the score sheet for Darmstadt. It's the first time he scored this season. Symbolic, that's important for them down the stretch. They need him to score. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it wasn't enough because Schleimer scored on 82 minutes. And then Andre Leipold, who um, was at the wrong place at the wrong time, he was trying to do the right thing by intercepting what would have been an open goal for Tim Hanverker. He bundles the ball into the back of the nest, parts. Moritz Behrens. There's a lot to dissect from this game, notably the injury to Marcel Schuen. Not sure if he'll be available for their game against Schalke on the weekend. 
Boy. I don't think anyone really saw this coming, considering how poor Nuremberg were the week before. But they just took their chances. We, 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 you could put us on repeat. And the importance of being efficient and taking your chances. Set pieces was the way that Nuremberg took their chances. And suddenly, they're only two points behind St. Pauli, and they're back in the mix. It's really incredible. But this is, this is the thing we've come to expect from this season, is to... Expect the unexpected. We can't predict this league. We can't predict anything. And as was proven, Nuremberg, who were probably outside favourites to win this game, took the three points. Yeah, and I think it really sums up what I have been saying about Nuremberg a lot this season. Um, the games where they win, sometimes they're just really, really weird. I mean, remember that they lost like 5-0 to Ingolstadt. And it's, it's so weird because... The game itself, in my opinion, was weird. I mean, it had something to do that I was watching football since 1.30 in the afternoon. That probably has something to do how weird I found this game. But um, Numec, you can never put the finger on them. And I think um, they play very good Zweite Liga football. I'm still very interested to see how they would perform under Klaus in the Bundesliga. Um, because I'm not completely sure how that transition will, will look like. Um, but I mean, they, they knew Darmstadt, Darmstadt is vulnerable through set pieces. Um, number 15 and 16, they conceded through set pieces this season, um, which is relatively high for a team that's that high up, mm. high up in the table. Um, and yeah, I mean... You spoke about that, that Dovedan should never be that free for the header after that um, guys free kick. Um, it was actually the first time since September that Darmstadt was a goal behind away from home. Um, so normally they're quite resilient away from home, but Nürnberg really broke them there. I mean, in my opinion, it had something to do with the fans as well. They really pushed mm. them forward. Um, you could see this without the fans. This would be a game that would like in a one-all draw. Um, because it didn't really have the pushback from the fans. Um, if we talk about how easy it was to Davidan, it's also very was very easy for Pfeiffer to get that deflected ball. I mean, it would have been a penalty if Pfeiffer wouldn't have scored because Kapka just decided to quickly, um, I don't know, challenge his father's alter ego or something like that and become a goalkeeper. <laughs> it was very weird as well. Mm. It looks quite funny. Um, but it's way too like it was a very weird scene. Um, yeah. But with it might have been still too easy for Pfeiffer to get that deflected ball. It was actually his first goal since November. Mm. Um, didn't really help here, but maybe just him getting again on the score sheet. It couldn't help in this game, but maybe in in the games to come uh, is going to be very important, especially in the next two games. Um, and then I thought, um, yeah, Schleimer was. Yeah, really, really had an impact in the last 10 minutes. Um, obviously, it was an on goal, but uh, uh, the cross came in by Schleimer and he does a really, really good job on the sidelines there. Get the ball through. Um, although, you gotta say that the Darmstadt defense didn't really look like you gotta say it didn't really look proper what they were doing there. Um, but all in all, I think, um, yeah, Darmstadt might be a bit disappointing about this result because especially in the in the beginning uh, Darmstadt was the better team but couldn't really 
yeah, as you said, efficiency, it's a very important thing. And um, it's it's going to be very interesting how they will, I do know, find a solution for that against Schalke, especially against Schalke, because we will speak about them next. Um, and they're just very impressive at the moment, not just not in a way how they play football, but just how they get their results done. Um and I think just from if you look how they are picking up points in the last couple of weeks, um, they have the best chances actually to to get into, yeah, or to, to be promoted in the end. Because just at the moment they show, yep, they're very efficient in everything they do. You could say that. Yeah, we'll talk about the Royal Blues in a moment. I guess some final words on... This particular game and what it means in the grand scheme of things, Darmstadt obviously they drop out of the top three. Their next two games are gigantic, and then they arguably have the lighter schedule running home. Them and Bremen's final three games are all very winnable. Um, it's just more of a case can they get results against Schalke at St. Pauli? And then they got, you know, Darmstadt has our Dusseldorf. And Paderborn, I think that Paderborn game at home will be a tough game for them because Paderborn are very strong away from home. Whereas for Nuremberg, Bremen at Bremen, Zanhausen at St. Pauli, at Kiel. And then they finish with Schalke at home. Let's just say the friendship will be on hold for 90 minutes in that game. Now, let's make a move to the Felton's Arena. Schalke took on Heidenheim in front of over 57,000 people. What a game this was. An incredible result for the Royal Blues, who were three goals to nil winners. Dominic Drexler opened the scoring just before half time. Right place, right time is the best way to describe where he was when Patrick Mike's header went in the wrong direction and Drexler was there to mop up the pieces. Schalke doubled their advantage seven minutes after the half began. Koei Takura went all on his own through one, through two, through three, and into the back of the net for his fourth goal of the campaign. Now, probably the most conjecturous situation of the game was on the hour mark, when it seemed as if Schalke had conceded after Martin Freisel completely forgot where his 18-yard box was. After an initial save on Stefan Schimmer, he um, well, he didn't really do anything, and he let Schimmer pick the ball back up. He found Norman Toyakov, who put the ball into the back of the net. However... It, it was decided that in the build-up, which was the through ball to Shimmer, uh, that Robert Leipertz had nudged, deflected the ball, and Shimmer was, in fact, offside. Whether this was incidental or not, this raised a lot of discussions, talking to a few people. This was discussed, um, let's just say, with a bit of passion, but um, we'll discuss that in a moment. Um, because it did certainly seem to be a momentum killer for Heidenheim, as Schalke would get a, four, a, a third goal. And of course, it would be Simon Toronto who would score his 22nd goal of the campaign. Idrizzi's chip cross. I think it was initially a chip. I think he was going for goal. But uh, as any goal scorer, any sort of um, person who doesn't really like sharing, he headers the ball into the back of the net. It was going to go wide, but he did the right thing. Headed the ball in. And uh, three points. What does this mean? Well, Schalke on top. That is something we haven't said all season. Let's put that in the book when that eventually ends at the end of this weekend. And for Heidenheim, well, 
It's their ninth defeat away from home this season. That is the second most in the side of Bundesliga. Only Dynamo Dresden have more with 10. Now let's discuss the big talking point, that offside. It seems incidental. You can see Robert Leipertz is trying to get out of the way. What is clear, though, is the deflection. Is this the right decision? Because it obviously cost Heidenheim a goal and momentum because it seemed as if they were going to take it to Schalke. As they did in this game, they had their opportunities, but they weren't able to put them away. Was this the right decision? Were Heidenheim correctly ruled out of a goal? Yeah, I think the question about this is always, I think it's called deliberate play. Hmm. Um, I think in a way, this is, yeah, I think you have to define it in a way that deliberate in, in this instant doesn't mean he really wants to play the ball, but he, he's just basically standing there. Um, I know for me, um, it's at the same time, it's a harsh decision, but understandable. Um, because in the end, the ball would probably not really land there uh, at Shimmer's feet if it gets not deflected a tiny bit here. Um, and so I know it's it's a harsh, in a way still harsh decision, but um, I think in the end it was correct, although um, <laughs> I was passionately against it in the first instance uh, as well. Um, but yeah, good thing for Freisel that his mistake wasn't really yeah, punished in that instance. Although you have to say um, he was actually the reason um, that Schalke was in the loop at all for, for winning this game, at least in my opinion, because very early in the beginning, um, he made two huge saves in, in the same situation versus Schapner and then against Kleindienst. Um, that was that was an amazing save. And if you, with all the fans uh, back in the stadium, if you get behind that early in the game, I think it could really turn. Mm. Um, but that was that was a very good save. And in my opinion, the the first goal really came rather out of no- nowhere because it was basically their first attack. Um, and um, really, really, this is um, an example how Tirola can help a team even if he does not score in that instance, because he, I think, at least has Husing on his side, um, which he binds for that header. So Drexler is free on the post. So um, that was a really, really good job. And obviously that Itakura goal um, was a beauty. Um, As mentioned before, I didn't think Heidenheim was that bad, as you would tend to agree, though, that with that goal being taken away... um, yeah, the spell was kind of broken, but um, yeah, in the end, one of the the better Heidenheim performance still away from home. We have seen this a couple of times now. If you if you compare it to the highest foul game as well, where they actually didn't look that bad, but they just can't. They don't have that efficiency away from home like they do at home. Um, and yeah, for Schalke, as mentioned, I do think they have um, a this stage, at least, if you consider the last two to three um, matches, they have the best prospects actually staying up there um, because they they get the point, although they're not always the, the, the better team. Um, obviously, they had, in, in the end, they had 11 shots on target, so they, they had those opportunities, um, but they also let a lot of 
things happening for Heidenheim. Heidenheim had 23 shots on goal. Um, so yeah, Freise was um, in the end quite good in goal, you could say. Um, and um, yeah, I think for, for Schalke, still have to say, I, I am a bit surprised how they turn it around. Still don't think they play the best football in this league. Um, but I mean, we were shown the last couple of years that it doesn't necessarily needs to be the best football you just have to pick up the points where others don't do that and Schalke does that at the moment so in a way um, they deserve to be first at the moment yeah four consecutive wins they are the informed team in the side of Bundesliga over the last five games no t- only Hansa Rostock who have equaled the amount of points taken over that period I'm still not convinced and that's you know this is just the honest truth, I'm still not entirely convinced about the midfield. It does seem to be the Achilles heel. We've seen under Bushkins that they've moved to a back four, far more conventional setup. It works for them. Itzakura is playing in a, in, a, in a central midfield role. Thought he was really good, excluding the goal. He's been in really good form since they've chucked him there. But it is, it's not all convincing. Um, their next five are brutal. And this is where, as we mentioned, this will be the most defining moment for Schalke in a long time. You know, we we, we talk we can talk about the relegation and all this other stuff, but in terms of really showcasing where they're at, Darmstadt, Bremen, Zanhausen away. Zanhausen will have everything to play for to make sure they don't be in the bottom three. St. Pauli at Nuremberg to end the season. Huge game. Massive performance. But we'll see. We will see where they are at. Um, but yeah, it's going to be crazy. All I can know is, is that we are going to see teams in the top five switch places at Nauseam. We have no idea, but that's going to be the beauty of it. We're going to come to match day 34 in over a month's time. And it's going to be mega. And I can't wait to explore the final few match days with all of you. Let's take a break. And on the other side, we're going to look at the teams trying to avoid the drop. Who will be able to avoid the bottom three and whose fate is almost all but sealed. We're going to start with Zanhausen and Dynamo Dresden. <laughs> Arguably the biggest game at the bottom end of the table was Zanhausen Dynamo Dresden. Zanhausen knew that a win on this match day, match day 29, would almost put them in a situation where they could almost cruise to safety. Let me say the word almost because their next three games are gigantically brutal. They hosted the Dynamo side that is winless in 2022. They are in fact the only side in the top two divisions yet to win this calendar year. Hmm. Match day 17 was their last win. That was a 1-0 away win at Erzgebirge Auer. So, they were hoping not to make it 10 defeats on the road this season when they headed to the BWT Stadion um, Hartford. They couldn't have got off to a worse start. Concession within the opening 10 minutes when Dario Dumic, a name that would be very familiar to Dresden fans, opened the scoring. And let's just say he was more than happy to score. Sandhausen certainly looked the better team. Testrot was dangerous and was un- unfortunate not to find the back of the net. But what they did do is just after half time double their advantage. Eric Zenger 
who hasn't scored for what seems like a very long time. His first goal of the season, just moments after the break. Tim Knipping, someone Sandhausen fans would know as well. He would get a goal back for Dinamo, uh, but they couldn't find a goal in this one. It ended, uh, another goal that is, it ended 2-1. But um, this game had a lot of spite. This was a personally charged affair, and it came with a challenge from uh, Chima Okoroji. There was beef. There was a lot of handbags and pushing. There was even a player choking another player. And a player that obviously Eva would be very familiar with, Sebio Suku, was choking Paulville, who we mentioned a lot last week after his weird game that he had against Schalke. And Vilk got a yellow card, um, as did Suku. Suku probably should have been sent off because it wasn't really a sporting act. Um, but let's actually talk about the game itself. Alias Schwartz doing what Alias Schwartz does. He's done it again. They win against a team that had so much of the ball. And I mean so much of the ball. But they took their chances. What what more can I say? Zenga had two shots on goal, two on target. He scored once. Um, and yeah, their efficiency was the difference in the end. Yeah. Uh, fully in agree and I mean um, when Schwarz took over um, we were wondering how much he really did for stabilizing that Sundhausen defense first of all because the first couple of games it didn't really look like that but if you look at in just the second leg in the season um, Sundhausen only conceded with the Dresden game 10 goals um, I think they're the second best uh, team just when it comes to uh, defensive st- stability um, so far in, in 2022, especially. And uh, that was that's really amazing because that really, really helps you getting out of this um, yeah, relegation battle and they've found their way once again. Uh, some some people might call them the FT Augsburg of the Zweite Liga. I'm very sorry for that. Uh, it's not a very nice thing to say. But in a way, they uh, yeah keep finding ways of not getting relegated first of all probably because um although the the team is always mixed up you have the feeling yeah they just know how to react here and um to how to uh, clear themselves out of that situation um and yeah most of the times they don't need those that many chances to, to do so this time at least um, they they had a couple more shots on on target as well. I mean they let Dresden come in the second half after um, after the knipping goal, um, but they stood there very. Yep, yeah, the the way they they stood in defense was very impressive. Uh, didn't let Dresden have too many walk-ins through their through their own box, and it was very impressive. Um, but yeah, I quickly want to touch on that Zuku situation once again, um, because I know at some stage uh, the IFAB, or uh, especially in Germany, they decided not to give um, yellow cards for everyone involved. We have a very beautiful word for this in Germany. It's called a Rudelbildung. Yeah. So, but in this instant, the thing is, Zuku gets a yellow card, but not in this situation. He gets it later on for a tackle. And it's 
it amazes me. I think it was also very, not very clever putting someone on as a referee who only was responsible for like four matches or it was his fourth match in the Zweite Liga. Um, obviously, in the Zweite Liga, there are not a lot of games that aren't important, but especially in games like this, it's not really fair to the referee as well mm. uh, because it was definitely not an easy game to referee in the end. Um, and, I mean, there's where the VAR should come in, basically, because obviously in situations like that, the referee, there were like 20 people involved. You can't give everyone a yellow card, obviously, and then you have like 22 players on the pitch who have seen, already seen a yellow card at this stage. Um, but I like I really don't understand it because in my opinion um, this is what we call Tätlichkeit and you, you, sh you shouldn't be on the pitch <laughs> for that, I'm sorry uh, we first uh, yeah, if, if Suku would have scored that second goal maybe uh, <laughs> the discussion would be a bit high like a bit louder um, but yeah in the end you gotta say uh, Dresden didn't lose that game because Sandhausen was a, was with 11 players on the pitch until the end, but because um, they just came into that game way too late, especially if you consider um, the situation they're in at the moment, and um, especially if you compare both sides, actually, uh, in for the same fight, um, Sandhausen showed them how to do it. Um, and, I mean, the, the next couple of games who will follow, we already spoke about this when speaking about the... Uh, earlier games, I mean, they're not completely chanceless in those games because we've seen them make teams struggle, um, not only at home, but also away from home. Uh, so I'm actually quite eager to see how they will perform in the following games. Um, and um, yeah, I'm quite sure, although it isn't done yet, yet um, I'm quite sure we will see another year of Sandhausen in the Zweite Liga. It certainly seems likely. You mentioned that statistic about them being very, very good defensively. They are, in fact, the best defensive team in the Zweite Bundesliga. Only conceded 10 times in the 11 games in this calendar year. Fourth best in their form, 17 points out of a possible 11. Only Nuremberg, Schalke and Bremen have taken more points during that period. Yeah, it certainly seems likely their situation has gotten a lot better. Six points clear with five games to go. Yes, those next three games are massive, but if you can take a point or two out of those games, you would say they're home. They look very comfortable. You know, we say 40 is usually safe, but I think in this instance, you're probably going to say about 35, maybe, maybe 38 points is enough um, for safety in the Spider Bundesliga. Dynamo desperately need to win. They desperately need to score goals. They've only scored eight goals this, this calendar year. That is the least of any team in the division. Now, let's move on to the Erzgebirge Stadion in Auer. As Erzgebirge Auer hosted Hanover, another massive game. Auer desperately needing a get to get a result. Hanover needing to get results to avoid being in the conversation for the playoff. How would this one unfold? Well, it only took three minutes for the visitors to take the lead. Julian Berner, 
known obviously known for his goal scoring exploits, headering the ball into the back of the net and opening the scoring for Hannover. Someone who's supposedly known for his goal scoring exploits, Henrik Weiden, who's had a very anonymous campaign in, and I wonder if he'll be there next season. Um, he scored initially ruled for offside, but it was very clear with the help of the video assistant referee that Vidant was well and truly on side. Changes needed to be made at halftime, and Pavel Deutschev did. One of those was Nicholas Trujic. Trujic got on the score sheet just after halftime. It's a wonderful, wonderful cross um, and a beautiful finish from Trujic. It gave our hope, but that hope was torn to shreds when Sebastian Kirk scored his eighth goal of the campaign 15 minutes before regular time to give the three points to Hanover. Well, Hanover are now seven points clear of Dinamo. They almost looked all but safe. They've got Dusseldorf, Paderborn, and Karlsruhe in the next three. There is a chance they could take some points there. For our, well, the situation stays the same in that they are Nine points away from Dinamo, but they have the worst goal difference in the division. They have the worst events in the division. 61 goals conceded. That, in itself, is six more than the second worst side. One thing that has been clear not only this season, um, not only in this game either, but of course this season is their inability to defend. Crosses. And it was on full display once again. But also, transitionally, they were very, very poor. It's all but for me. It's all but over. I'm willing to put a fork in them and call it a day. I think it's fair to say that their their 11 year stay is going to be over. Not only that, Martin Manor will miss the rest of the season with injury, so we'll get some Philip Clivine time, which will be interesting because he might be playing. He might be, you know, might be their number one next year if Manor decides to leave. So let's talk about this game then. Wasn't the greatest game to watch, it has to be said. Uh, it was probably the um, the least watched of the Saturday afternoon games. But, massive result for Hanover, but a massive result for Christoph Dubrovsky because of the fact that, well, Hanover will consider him if they want to continue throughout next season. Yeah, I mean, it's still, like, it's a very hanover result in the end. Um they pick up the points when necessary. I'm quite sure they don't really stand a chance against Dusseldorf, though, next week. Um, whatever happens after this season, they really have to think how they want to regroup here because um, it's clear that with either Weidand or Hinterseer, uh, this is not how to get into the next season. Um, if they want to get promoted at some stage, which should probably be the target for them, um, yeah, for our, I mean, Dotchev himself said before the match they will get relegated if they don't win the game. And, well, I mean, our and also Julian Berner really had a thought about that. Um, it was actually only the second goal after a corner for Hanover this season. Um, if you consider that they actually have people like Kaiser who are prominent or whatever um, for or at least having good set pieces might wonder what happens there. Um, but yeah, in, in general, especially for for a game away from home or especially playing at our, it was a good game by Hanover, relatively good 
Um, if I find it quite funny that Vidan actually misses that first shot, which is in just in my opinion a bit easier, but then hits the deflector ball um, by man exactly right. It was was a weird situation. Um, I mean, um, you're gonna say one hour player that had a particular bad day in this game was definitely Malcolm Kakutalua. Mm. Um, involved in the first and uh, the second goal uh, the third goal I think uh, where he didn't really look good I mean as you've mentioned our luck to at least have a small say in the result after Dutch's uh, substitutions at halftime um, but yeah I mean in the end it, it, <laughs> once again one individual masterclass insert the quote about if your team needs Sebastian Kerk to perform well mm. whatever Um yeah, in the end, I think Owl really had it coming uh, this season, although that sounds harsh, but I don't really see them Yeah, picking up points in the end. Um, the most interesting game is probably going to be um, on match day 34 against Dresden, um, if they if they take them down with them. Um, that's going to be the question, I think, in the end. But um, if you compare it to the promotion fight, I think uh, the relegation battle is... At least in in a huge part um, set in stone. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty comfortable in saying that. Um, it is. Yeah, it's just they were in trouble, and Eva is very much right in the assessment. And we've said this throughout the season: their lack of investment at the start of the campaign, maybe the wrong manager at the wrong time, with Alexei Spilevsky. Um, it was setting up for, for, for relegation and, you know, this is where they're at, unfortunately. And for them, they really, the interesting part, and I know Flo touched on it last week is there's no real clear direction where they, they are. They've got a lot of young players. They've got a lot of players over the age of 30 and they haven't got enough players that are in what we consider the peak of their powers. So... So Pavel Deutschev has a big responsibility next season to help get them up. And finding a club, an identity is the big one. That's the one that they're going to have to find. But yeah, it's been a bad season for them. And it's not a surprise that in the end they will go down. Another team that will probably join our in relegation this season is Ingolstadt. They made the journey to Regensburg on Friday night. This game ended a goal apiece. The goal scorers were... Leon Guevara with an own goal. It initially came from across from Christian Gibar. A very weird Armenia Bielefeld talking in this group. It may be foreshadowing. I don't know. I hope not, but it may be. And I got the correct response from Eva on that one. But uh, And I'm sure the Bielefeld fans will know exactly what gesture was dished out. But you know, I hope I'm wrong. But, uh, well... I watched the weekend and I uh, was I'm not confident. Anyway, um Regensburg did equalize on 56 minutes. Andreas Albers continued his relatively good run of recent. He bundled home uh, from virtually the goal line after Robert Yendrush's initial save uh, fell to Albers and he put it into the back of the net. <sighs> well, I think there was there's not a lot to really talk about. This game was not particularly great to watch. Um Yep, that's that's the truth of it. But uh, one player who did play particularly well was Robert Yendrush. He was very busy, 
Very industrious, made some really good saves. Uh, he was the only one who really kept Ingolstadt in the game, it felt like for me. I'm not sure how you feel about it either. But um, this result obviously doesn't help them at all. Uh, with five games to go, um, they seem to be done. I think we said it last week. They look like it's going to be it's curtains for them. Um, so yeah, another team that with five, we're pretty confident that this these two in our and Ingolstadt will be in fact the bottom two. Not a lot of positives, it has to be said, from another a pretty poor Ingolstadt performance. But I guess one point is better than none. Yeah, I mean, um, if you look at the game, um, Ringsburg had a better start. They actually had the first chance through Macridis, um, um, and then Ingolstadt scores a goal. Actually, I, it was probably the only really good scene by Ingolstadt throughout the game. Um, really good change of sides uh, to Heinlord, who was put in his game by Riem. Um, and then, obviously, that the Gebauer cross, where I don't really know who, who he wanted to find in that situation. Um but yeah, sometimes you need those goals in um, um, in the yeah in the relegation fight. But I mean, what happened afterwards was uh, just really really poor by Ingolstadt. Um, I mean, it was a, obviously it was a shitty goal by Ringsburg. Um, there you have once again what I meant before that uh, Bezushkov uh, touches the ball with his hand, arguably, but because um, it's not really. Um, punishable you could say um it's really not enough to take a goal away um and English actually lost the points eight and nine with this um after taking the lead um so they're really not the side to look forward to to taking the lead and I think that's probably one of their yeah biggest flaws this season that they couldn't really if they if they were taking the lead that they couldn't hold on to it um yeah Otherwise, I would agree. I mean, for Regensburg, um, they're somewhere in the, in the middle of the table. I mean, they might be disappointed after how they started the season. But um, I think in the end, uh, especially if you consider the second leg, uh, they're just happy. Um, they're not getting relegated, probably. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you, you could all, or also talk about them failing um to to be accurate in their shots on target um i mean ibas had seven shots on goal only two of them were in target so that was something um yeah really telling the story of this game as well um they could have easily won this in in my opinion uh, but as you've mentioned uh Hindrush was was good in goal um that's probably the only good thing english had had the two goalkeepers um with Hendrush and uh, stojanovic um in the last couple of months um, but yeah, uh, the rest. I mean, we were we kind of knew Ingolstadt was one of the most likeliest teams to go down in the end, and um, sometimes it's not nice to be proven right. But I think in this instant, um, I, it was a it was a difficult season. They too many changes in managers as well. I mean. I don't know how how the season would have looked like if they would have started with uh, Rüdiger Rehm right away. Um, not sure, but yeah, in the end, th- sorry, but they deserve to go down. It is very clear that um, you know, Ingolstadt has been one of the two worst teams in the league, and I think we can, yeah, I think there's not really a whole lot you can add to that. It's just 
you, know, you look at the facts and you just watch them play and you're like well there is a gap there is a there's a clear gap in the way that they play and, and their ability to win games versus the rest let's take a final break and on the other side we'll discuss the final three games of match day 29 we are going to start in Kiel when Holstein Kiel took on Hamburg There was still a possibility that Hamburg could make it to the playoffs. However, they would almost have to make a perfect run. That would include scoring victory at Kiel on the weekend. They were able to be our 4-0 in midweek, which gave them a little bit of an opportunity. However, this is a story we have seen far too often over the past four seasons. Dominate a game, concede a goal, and lose. And this is what happened in this one. Kazi Rett's goal on 20 minutes was the only goal scored from Kiel and Hamburg succumbing to another defeat. What is the trend in all these games that Hamburg have late in the season? Well, they have lots of the ball. They have, usually, on most occasions, they have lots of shots. In fact, they had 18 of them and only gave up three. They conceded an avoidable goal. And they lose the game and we have to talk about it over and over again. It is just a story as old as time because it continues to happen over and over again even though we mentioned that they have the easiest schedule only Hamburg have proven over the last few seasons that they can make the easy rather difficult either we can actually get this one out of the way quick and fast an individual error is all it took for quasi right to be in on goal and he buried it into the back of the net Hamburg's I would say officially now we can say Hamburg are out of the running for even not only just promotion, but the playoffs. Yep, I would agree. And um, I really would like an answer to why this is. I sadly don't have one. I mean, um, they weren't even bad in this game. Like, mm. you, as you've mentioned, um, only three shots on goal for Kiel. One of them was on target. Um, also, that was the goal. Um, I mean, it, it was a good thinking by Comenda. Um, hmm. Obviously, the mistake by Yatta, but a uh, perfect execution by, uh, by Vried, not only against Ashona, but also Versailles um, Fernandes. Um, I think the yeah most disappointing thing for Kiel in this game was um, that uh, Barthes needed to be subbed off. He has a collarbone fracture. Um, I think it's uh, he will be out for the rest of the season. Um, that's uh, yeah, very bad for Kiel in a way because he actually yeah he he's just an, a northern le- legend you could say. I think um, played for at least a couple of northern clubs and um, yeah, with with players like him, you always don't know if it might be the last season they play at least on that level. Um, uh, Alexander Injoski, who came in, I think, for him, um, <laughs> made a good game afterwards. Um, had uh, especially with with an interceptions, um, was quite impressive. Um, and yeah, I think he had a decent game. You could see, mm. you could say, sorry. And um, yeah, but in the end, I think, as you've mentioned, there's not a lot more you can talk about this. Um, I mean, the only thing you could say is that uh, Klaus Feldmann had splendid time analyzing why the game was postponed for 12 minutes because of pyrotechnics. Won't repeat the words he was saying about this. Um, in my opinion, that was 
more annoying than the game being postponed for 12 minutes but just, that's just my personal opinion about this um yeah um in the end as mentioned um you, you could probably say um that dino was um quite impressive in goal as well especially um he already had a very good scene at the uh, beginning of the game versus Glatze. Um but yeah I think for Kia is is a good result they are somewhere in midfield which is considering how they started the season is a good thing um in the end but um yeah for Hamburg and I still do hope that they keep Valta for another season uh because what they really need is stability <laughs> really really need stability um but yeah it's it's kind of annoying, I think, for us as well to talk about this each year. Uh, in a way, it's not only just for comedy reasons. It's just it's sometimes it's difficult to explain why it is. I think we would earn a lot of money if we knew the question or the answer why this keeps happening. Um, but yeah, it's something they they need a fix. And um, otherwise, I think they need to get up we really really get up next year otherwise I don't know how the club might implode especially financially as well um, so yeah yeah I, I don't know how they can continue this uh, near misses that they've had you know three seasons where they finished fourth and it seems now they'll probably finish between five and seven at the end of this season um, just, yeah, I don't know what, I mean, they, they, they must have done something in the many, many years that allowed them to keep, to stay up in the Bundesliga, which now they're paying for by, you know, coming to April, they're unable to win crucial games. And this was another one of those, um, events. It's just crazy how this continues to happen. You did mention Kiel and one player you did mention was Alec, uh, Alexander Ignovsky. Um, yeah, he was pretty pretty good um you know for you know had some time at darmstadt had some time at bremen and we know some bremen fans really uh really fond of ignovsky so um yeah it's um a, a much needed win for keel um and, and marcel rap it puts them in a good position they are now p11 um and they are very very close in my books to surviving for another season now let's move on to Dusseldorf. Fortuna Dusseldorf hosted Hansa Rostock. Rostock on the back of four consecutive wins. Uh, Dusseldorf, their run has been under the radar a little bit. They were seven games unbeaten heading into this one, and they would, in fact, make it eight. Uh, goal scorers Ayo Tanaka with his first goal for Fortuna Dusseldorf, Shinta Applecamp, and Khalid Navrai. Nara's got eight goals and 14 assists this season. He has been proven to be a fantastic signing from Hamburg. Certainly a player they could definitely be using right now. Um, a few things to discuss with this one for, for, for Hansa. It's the first time in that, you know, it's the first time they've lost, um, you know, over five games, you know, over four games. They were pretty poor in this one, even we've seen them be very strong attacking wise. They really were harmless in this one. And it was no surprise in the end that Fortuna, who are now unbeaten in eight under Daniel Tune, continue to rise. Yep, and what 
I was surprised of that how harmless Rostock actually was in this game, especially away from when we were uh, talking about this a couple of times where we had the feeling that Rostock's away from home performance was a bit more free just because they didn't really feel the pressure from the fans at home. Um, this wasn't the case in this game. There were very, very poor um, statistically just to put them on once. Um, Dusseldorf only had one point... Um, 09 xgs but also had like 0.3 uh, which is not a lot um and i think um yeah Düsseldorf did what they have done on their tune so far um a lot of good thinking i really like that first goal good thinking by hennings letting their ball through to tanaka um then i think Düsseldorf could could have won this even higher. Um, Hennings couldn't use uh, Rizuda's mistake there on the sidelines. Uh, but yeah, it was at some sort, it was really horrible game to watch as, as well uh, because Rostock didn't really offer anything and Düsseldorf just, whenever they wanted, broke through. And um, the only real chance Rostock had um, was perfectly saved by Kastenmeier um, against Meitzner. And, um, yeah, good to see um, Shinta Appelkamp um, getting involved there as well. Um, he, he is actually initially responsible for the counter-attack, at which end uh, he is completely alone in the box. Um, could maybe compare it to, to Dovedan versus Darmstadt. Um, he is completely alone in the box, heads and can easily head the ball into the goal. Um, yeah, for us, this was... Um, yeah, very surprisingly disappointing game, at least in my opinion. I um, haven't seen them in a long time that, yeah, just without any fight in them. Um, as I mentioned, they only had like this really, really good chance um, that was saved by my uh, by by Kastenmeier in the end. And um, besides that, there were, I mean, there were in the tackles. Um, they they were trying to I don't know have have at least over over tackles and duels to have their saying but um Dusseldorf's um defensive line was really impressive as well. This is something that Tune did very well um since he took over and um yeah, I'm I think this this match between Dusseldorf and Tune uh, works very well. I mean for them, it's not a lot of going towards the end, but uh, I think to just get the fans behind them for the new seasons, uh, for the new season, the games against against Hanover um, and obviously against Darmstadt and St. Pauli, they can really have a saying in who gets promoted in the end. Um, I think that's always quite interesting to see, and uh, I'm I'm I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to those games. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 there are a few teams in the lead up that can play spoiler, can really ruin a team season, especially in for the fight for promotion. And as we've seen with Dusseldorf, the upturn in form under Daniel Tune is very, very evident. Strong coach, and we knew that when you know he he took Osnabrück up to the side of Bundesliga, survived the first season. He was good at Hamburg until it, the usual things that happen around this time of the year. Um, and he's shown, you know, he he's too good to not be in the game. And and Fortuna, you know, if they can maintain and build on the squad that they've currently got, 
yeah, next season looks very, very good for them. They'll be a really strong op- a strong challenger, um, assuming that they can get the recruiting right and they can maintain majority of the squad. But yeah, it shall be interesting. Hansa, not over the line just yet, but they are very, very close. Uh, they got Re- Regensburg on the weekend. They can win that, I would say. They are home and dry. Now, our final game of the match day takes us to Paderborn. It's Paderborn against Karlsruhe. This game ended... Two goals apiece. Kai Proger opened the scoring on the half hour. And then Marvin Vanitsek equalized just six minutes later. Just straight after half time, Paderborn reduced to 10 men when, well, Uwe Hunemeyer cut Benjamin Goller down like a tree. A real Paul Bunyan type move. Um, and he was obviously given a straight red card by referee Christoph Grunsch. No doubt about it. Philip Hoffman added to his goal-scoring tally his 17th of the campaign. He will be playing for Borkham next season. Um, a interesting signing for them. But even with the man advantage, Karlsruhe could not put Paderborn away. Why was this? Welp. Kai Proger was everywhere. Even with they were down to 10 minutes. It was his ball that found Maximilian Talhammer for an easy tap-in to give Paderborn a share of the points. Have to say I was really disappointed with how Karlsruhe took on the second after after they took the second goal with um with Hoffman scoring. They really could have added a third, but they were more than happy to let Paderborn dictate the play, and in the end they were duly punished. Yeah, I think um in a way, this was really a game where you could see for, for both sides it's not really going either way in the season anymore. Um, just like from the looks on the pitch and stuff, um, as you mentioned, um, was probably one of the best games by Brugger so far this season. Um, I mean, for him, we know that he could do this, but especially uh, when Michel really rose up to be... Um, Mr. Stepanabom this season. Um, it was difficult for him yet yeah, to fill that gap when Michel left. Um, a really, really good assist by Clement. I think Parabon will hope maybe to keep him over the season. Um, so that, um, yeah, Hoot and Hunemaya later on, for especially for Hunemaya, who was so experienced. Uh, this was a very weird game for him without mistakes. And um, that obviously was a foul where he doesn't even complain afterwards. He mm. he sees the red, and the only one who's really complaining about that is uh, Scabini, um, who I think extended his contract uh, with Parabon as well. Um, what I was really surprised about was how passive Karlsruhe was after they scored uh, their second goal. Um, because in a way, they equalized themselves on, on those 10 players that Paderborn had because they just didn't want the ball anymore, let Paderborn have the room um, and and the, really the game. Um, and so they kind of had it coming. And I think in the end, um, the draw is okay just because Karlsruhe invited them to, to do that. And um, yeah, I think it it's the reason why this game is the last game in a way um, because it didn't really mean anything for, for both teams um yeah if you look at the uh at the teams they will play um at least yeah i mean especially uh karlsruhe 
does have a say um, in who is going to, similar to Düsseldorf, who is going to get promoted because they play HSV and Heidenheim. But um, yeah, more more or less, it's not really like you could say the two games where those teams or the games where those teams are, are involved in the upcoming games are only like one or two where you can really say okay there's something happening there and you hope they they will do their best in making it a competition but yeah I think in the end they're they're there where they would have been expected um, not really over their potential not really under Mm. somewhere in the middle yeah I think the interesting thing is if you look ahead is that both teams have Ingolstadt over the next couple of weeks and they could finish them off completely so, um, and obviously we mentioned earlier in the program that Paderborn are at Darmstadt to end the season. They could really put some pain on Darmstadt, what will be a massive game for them. Um, it could be the difference between them making the playoff, automatic promotion, or staying with us for another season. I mean, it's not bad down here. It's not, it's not bad here. I mean, I think it's pretty good, but um, we'll see. We'll see what happens and what the fortunes hold for both sides next season. Uh, our kick tip, as you know, we keep up to date with every single week. And it does seem that one particular individual is on his way to the crown, the Meister Schaller. That is Louis. Louis van Gaal, or Louis van Gaal even, Louis Loza, is on his way to the title. Someone please stop him. Uh, and congratulations to Anna1904 for topping the, the sheets this week. 17 points. Congratulations to you. And of course, normally we'd have a podcast um, recommendation. I almost said relegation. Boy, oh boy. Um, But this week we don't have one. But if you are interested in the Spider Bundesliga, do check out Chris McCarthy's piece on Bundesliga 2, or predictably unpredictable, the Spider Bundesliga. Our wonderful host, Eva, is a contributor on this piece. So without saying... Go check it out. It is on The Athletic. So that is one to read. That is it for us for another week of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Of course, it is the Easter long weekend. So everyone who is celebrating that, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Enjoy the festive football that we will hopefully see some great games. And we will see you next week. Until then, take care.